Well, good morning again, and thank you for tuning in from the comfort of your own home. Uh, I'm glad you're all safe and taking the the necessary precautions to beat this thing. But you know, I do I do miss seeing you guys. So um, it's good to have you worshiping with us. If you are new to Involved Church, maybe I haven't met you face to face, but you've been just kind of been going through and looking at some different churches and streaming, or you've been asking a lot of questions about what's going on in the world, and you've been looking to, to the church and to scripture. We're so glad that you're with us this morning, and, and I'd love to be able to connect with you in some way. So feel free to reach out to myself or Pastor Luke. You can go through our website. We have some elders too who would love to, to talk to you and reach out to you. So feel free to connect us at info, or you can text the number that I'm about to put on the screen. So uh, we would love to, to connect with you. And for everyone else who has been here and has been to, to Snake River and has joined us, we're so glad that you're worshiping with us this morning as well. Well, during our Roman series, we have been taking questions and, and trying to answer them either at the end of the service or we are answering them throughout the week if we don't have enough time to get to it. So I want to take uh, and just throw up that verse for you here, or excuse me, that, that number for you here. You can take a look at it. You can text your questions to 208-205-9771 if through this service there's just something that maybe uh, you want some more explanation on or, or you're thinking, man, there's, that maybe jogs another, you know, another question in your mind. And so, so just you can write that down. And, uh, and we'll, we'll try to address that as time goes by. So text your question, 208-205-9771. Is there something in your life you really like to do, but you know God doesn't want you doing it? Is there something you're just like, man, I'd like to do that, but I know God doesn't really like me doing that? I'll, I'll first bring finances up, because I think that's one that, that probably many of us can think about. We might even think to ourselves, you know what, our, our finances are limited, we know God wants us to be responsible with them, but we're driving down the road, and we see that coffee shop that we really like, and we think, oh, hey, what the heck, why not just drive in there, you know, spend another five, ten dollars on coffee, even though I don't have the resources for it. That, I think that's an example, maybe, of, of something we really like to do that we know God doesn't want us to do, be irresponsible with our finances. I found just, and this is between Rebecca and myself actually, but I found that um, I have a sweet tooth and she knows that, I know it, but uh, she, she makes cookies for the family and when she makes cookies for the family, she will usually put them in the cookie jar and then I get my, my rations every once in a while, maybe one a day or something like that, um, if, I, if I'm lucky. But what I've found is Rebecca has incredible hearing, and we were just talking about this as a family the other day. She can hear that cookie jar all over the house. She could be down in the basement in the farthest corner, and if that cookie jar opens, I'm bound to hear, Ryan, are you getting a cookie? And even if, and I've tried this before, I think I've tried, I'm pretty sure, where she could be taking a shower and, you know, there's water just rushing over her head, and, and I will get a cookie at that moment, and she will say after the shower, did you, did you take a cookie? So it's just, it's just funny how she knows, she knows. God knows when we do things that we're not supposed to do, like lying to get out of trouble. 
when you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar? You might lie to get out of trouble. You might spin a story to win an argument, tell some you know, partial truths or things like that. You might covet, which is the biblical term for wanting something that isn't yours. Maybe it's stuff. Maybe it's, it's a possession. Uh, it may be a person. Sometimes we, we see that in Scripture of lusting, of physical sexual lust for someone else. It's wanting something that isn't yours. That's coveting that the Bible talks about. Maybe it's spending time on things of little value and neglecting important things. Um, during this time, maybe your, your similar situation where you're sitting on the couch with your family. Isn't it funny how we sit on the couch and we have our devices open and we're right next to each other, but we're sitting there scrolling through things, sitting on the laptop, and we have human interaction available to us, and yet we still spend time doing this. on things that probably are of little value. Something else, maybe you're in a relationship you know God doesn't approve of. Or maybe you hang out with friends that hurt your walk with the Lord and you know that the Lord doesn't want you in those relationships, in those friendships. Is there something in your life you really like to do, but you know God doesn't want you to do it? Well, why start out this way? Let's take a look at some passages, and then we're going to jump into Romans chapter 6. Genesis 13, 12 through 13, it says this, Abram lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot. Abram was the uncle, Lot was the nephew, and then two of them were called out of Haran, and they were going into this land that God had called them to. And so the two of them took their families and took them out into the desert. And as they go to this area, they have this, this choice to make. They go into the cities on the plain and they set up, uh, but Lot, excuse me, uh, lived in Canaan. Lot lived in, in, in the plain near Sodom. And what happened was as they get near to those places, Abraham said, Lot, which, which area do you want? And Lot looked out and he said, oh, look at this lush green area. And Lot said to himself, I'll take that. And Abram got the, the desert, the dry land. But as Lot goes to Sodom, look at what Scripture has to say, verse 13. Now, the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord. They went that direction. They went with Lot, knowing that in that area, the people were, were wicked. They were sinning against the Lord. But in, my, in Lot's mind, he must have been thinking, that's okay. I could probably do okay. I could live in that kind of situation. And then we find out that great judgment came upon Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot actually had to flee that area. I think a lot of us tend to be more like Lot than Abram, and we flirt with sin. We see the things out there that God doesn't want us to do, and we think, oh, I can get as close as possible and still not sin. I was reading through some articles, and I came across an article by a guy named Pastor Chad Ashby, and he just said this. He said, let's admit the hard truth. Many of us are failing in the fight against daily temptation. I wonder how true that is. If we flirt with sin, if we go up next to sin, if we, if we begin to see that thing that God doesn't want to, and we go, well, I can go so far 
It brings me back, honestly, to my youth days. It brings me back to be, being a youth pastor as well. When I'm working with youth or when I thought of myself, how far, God, in a relationship with a girl can I go and it not be sin? I got asked that question quite a bit as a youth leader. Pastor Ryan, I was just wondering, you know, how far, how far can we go? God says, you know, we're not to commit immorality, fornication, adultery. Well, well where's the line? I just want to know, how far can we go? And I think we ask that question in a lot of ways, not just sexual sin. We ask it with a lot of sins. How far can we go? And we flirt with sin. Well, we're going to get into Romans chapter 6, and the reason why I bring this out and why I start this way is I just want to point out to all of us that the first question that's brought up in Romans chapter 6 comes from people probably asking this question. Can we push sin a little bit? Can we push the limitations of sin? If grace is going to increase, well, why not push sin? Why not sin more? That grace would increase even more. Well, let's pray, and then we'll get into the text. Father, I thank you for your word and your truth. It speaks truth to us. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. We know it's to be true. We know that it's your word. And we look to it for help, we look to it for wisdom, we look to it for understanding. We want it to grow our love and our passion for you, and we want it to grow our love and passion for other people. So I pray, God, that you would speak to us today. Teach us today from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to show you a picture here, and I just I went into my Bible and opened up the passage and did a little bit of circling and, and diagramming for you so you can see how these two verses connect. So this starts with Romans 6, and it's going to link back to Romans chapter 5, verse 20. So here's the picture for you. It says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may multiply? I circled that word multiply, and you'll see the arrow that goes up to it to verse 20 of chapter 5, and this is why. In that verse it says, the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. And that's how these these two ideas were connected. So when you get to the end of chapter 5, people may have begun begun to think, great, grace is going to multiply even more. So if we sin more, let's take advantage of it, right? Sin more? Well, now we'll get even more grace. Well, Paul, knowing how our flesh works, anticipated that. And that's why we have verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may multiply? And he gives a very emphatic no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We recognize that we need a Savior, and anybody who comes to Christ and has faith in Christ knows that the reason they need Christ is because they're sinners. And so when you get to that point, you say, oh, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus Christ, and I need His death, His burial, and His resurrection, you shouldn't then go back and say, oh, well, now that I have that, let's just go ahead and keep on sinning. He says, absolutely not. How can we who have died to sin still even want to live in it? Verse 3, or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Now, there's some great theology here, and I want to unwrap this portion of Scripture, and then the rest will just kind of work through, because I think the rest is just kind of saying a lot of the same thing over and over to give us some different ways to look at it, different views, so that we understand that we are united with Christ in His death and in His resurrection. But I want to go back to this word baptism, because when you and I hear the word baptism or the word baptized, oftentimes what comes to our mind is, is water, Right? And maybe depending on your background and your tradition, you may even think about an infant being baptized. You may think about sprinkling or you may think about immersion or being dunked. And that's not too uncommon from what people would have thought at that time as well. I'm going to give you a picture of what you would see if you were to to go to Jerusalem today and you were to walk around, you'd see quite a few of these things. They're called mikvahs. And mikvahs were, were put around the Jewish temple and in synagogues and places like that because people needed some ritual washing. They would bathe themselves before they went to a mikvah because a mikvah was, was for, for purification. So they would bathe themselves, and if they were going to a temple or if they had uh, done some other sin, whether it was intentional or unintentional, they would go to a mikvah to purify themselves. And so it was, it was for the practice of purification oftentimes after sinning, and in preparation for visiting the temple. Now, there are a lot of reasons people might use a mikvah. But in essence, you use a mikvah because you need to make your relationship with God or make right your relationship with God. Well, then John the Baptist comes on the scene 2,000 years ago. And John was taking people out to the Jordan River, which was a pretty dirty river, still is, and he was baptizing people there. And so people were were going out to the river, and they were hearing him, and what he had to say was, the Messiah is coming, you need to repent and prepare and get ready for the Messiah. And that's exactly what John's ministry was. He was a forerunner, one who would tell about the Messiah and get people ready for the Messiah who was about to show up. And we know the Messiah as Jesus. And so people would go out into the desert, they would go to the Jordan River, and John would baptize them there, a dirty flowing river, which is really important. They wanted this river to flow because the flowing represented more of a, of a taking away, taking away the dirtiness, so to speak. Well, then Jesus comes on the scene, and he had something else to say about baptism. Up to this point, the Jews were, were dunking people in water in mikvahs. John the Baptist was dunking people in water in the Jordan River. But look what Jesus says. He, this was John at this point, verse 7, Mark chapter 1, John proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. Jesus is the one that John was talking about there. And Jesus himself was baptized as a way to demonstrate to the rest of us that we too would be baptized. But go back to this verse, verse 8. I think it's really important to understand this. I baptize you, John baptizes you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were a Jew, you would have known about the dunking in the mikvahs for cleansing people. 
And if you were a follower of John, you would have been baptized in water for repentance and preparation for the Messiah. But Jesus comes and he speaks of a baptism in the Spirit for the removal of sin. So I want to ask you a question. Which form of baptism do you think is most effective for purification? Water or the Holy Spirit? And Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we talk about how when people have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they are united with Christ. And that's what this passage goes on to explain. You are united with Christ. You are washed of your sin because of the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in your life. So then you might ask the question, well, why do we even practice water baptism then? Well, we practice water baptism for two reasons. One, it identifies you with the teaching of Jesus. I wear a wedding ring here because over 20 years ago, I promised my faithfulness to honor and to cherish my wife, and I wear it as a symbol to let people know that I'm married. It's a public declaration. Now, one of the reasons we baptize today in water is to show people that we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and we have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So it's a way to identify with the teachings of Jesus. It also physically demonstrates what has taken place spiritually. Spiritually, we have been placed into Christ and we have died with Christ and then we have risen from the dead. And when we do water baptism, we take a person and we immerse them in water as, in, as if Christ had, had died in, on the, uh, gone into the grave. And then when they come out, that's like the resurrection piece, the resurrection part, where they come out of the water, they come into a newness of life. They're saying goodbye to the old life and hello to the new life. It physically demonstrates what spiritually has taken place. And so we move forward in this passage. Verse 4, Therefore... We were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of Father, we too may walk now in this newness of life, for we have been united with him in the likeness of his death. If we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection." I remember the first time someone explained this to me in a way that I understood, or at least it's the first time that that the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to this idea of being unified with Christ. I remember exactly where I was sitting. I was sitting in a class. We were going through a spiritual formation class, and the teacher began to go through a book we were talking about, and he said something that just stuck with me, and it made sense. He said that when you place your faith in Christ, what is true of Christ is true of you. And then he went on and he talked about how Christ died on the cross and we died in Christ on the cross. He talked about how Christ went to the grave and how in Christ we went to the grave. He talked about how Christ rose from the dead and how in Christ we rose from the dead and we were united with Christ. And as Christ goes to heaven and as Christ is there So we will be there. That's the inheritance that Christ has been given. That's the inheritance that you and I have. 
That's what this passage is talking about. That's the hope that he has here. If we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. He has given us new life. Then he goes on in verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is free from sin. He talks about the old self, and there's plenty of passages like this, Corinthians and Galatians and other uh, writings from Paul, where he talks about the old self. We need to put it off and embrace the new self. We've been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over Him. For the death He died, He died for sin or to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. There's an incredible truth all throughout Scripture. You read it here, you read it in Hebrews, that when Jesus Christ died, He died once for all. He died for the sins of the past, present, and the future. The sins in the Old Testament, they were covered by the the, the death of Christ in the future. The sins of the present, they were covered by the death of Christ. Our sins were covered 2,000 years ago when Christ died upon the cross and rose from the dead. He died once for all. Christ is not dying over and over and over again. He did this once. He did it for all. And he said to us, if we place our faith in him, then we know that we have been given that eternal life. We have died to sin, and we now live in it. So you too, consider yourselves. This is the way we ought to think of ourselves, okay? We have to think of ourselves as dead to sin. We've said no to sin. We've said we want to walk away from sin. We say we know that God has given us new life in Christ, and because of that, we want to live in that relationship with Him and not in a relationship with sin. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin Reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any part of it to sin as weapon for righteousness, unrighteousness. You cannot just take a part, portion of yourself and say, oh, you know, I'll, I'll just give 90% of myself to Christ. I'll give 60%. I'll give 51 so most of it. He says, no, not any part of you should be related to sin. That's not the relationship we're looking for. We're not looking for a relationship to to be with this world and be in sin. We're looking for a relationship to be with Christ. We don't want to offer ourselves as weapons for unrighteousness. We want to offer ourselves as one who are alive from the dead. So offer yourselves then to God and all the parts of yourself, 100% of yourself to God, as weapons then for righteousness, that we would go out and do what He wants us to do, and not what we want to do. We would do what He wants us to do, and not what the world wants us to do. We would do what He wants us to do, and not what Satan wants us to do. For sin will not rule over you. It will not rule over us, because you are not under the law but under grace. And that's how we ought to live our lives, under God's grace. 
and not this law, not sin, but under grace. You have a relationship with Jesus, so please don't flirt with sin. I think that's what Paul's doing here. Listen, you have died and risen to new life. Please don't flirt with sin. We'll go back. Oh, I lost. Well, I'm going to go to some uh, notes here that I have. Thinking through this whole concept and this idea of having a relationship with Jesus kind of takes us back to the Old Testament a little bit. It's true that grace is greater than your sin. And that's something that was mentioned in Romans 5, verse 20. Israel knew that really well. In fact, you can go back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve knew that well. Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. And the first thing God does is he realizes that, you know, that that's all happened and everything, he has a conversation with them and, and gives the curses and everything. He then gives them clothing and he sacrifices animals to give them clothing. They experience grace. Then you move forward and you see a lot of other relationships and people receive grace. It's greater than sin. But God still wants us to turn away from sin. And like Israel, you can flirt with sin. It's an amazing thing as you read through this, the story of Israel. Israel itself was constantly in a, in a kind of an in-and-out relationship with God. They were passionate about God. They would follow God. They would serve God. They would worship to God. And then a few months, a few years would go by, and they would fall away, and, and then God would come in and discipline them. You could read through Judges. It's like that over and over again. Then you get into the Kings, and you kind of get that a little bit. Saul starts off not so great. David comes in, points them back to God. Solomon starts off well, then they start to fall away, and then they split kingdoms, and then they go into the north kingdom and the south kingdom, and they have some good kings and some bad kings, and it's back and forth. But the whole time, God does not forsake them. God let them flirt with sin. But some things you need to know. Sin damages your relationship with God, and you see that in the life of Israel and the nation of Israel. Sin damages your relationship with God. It doesn't mean that God's going to flee. It doesn't mean that God's going to walk away from you. It means typically that you move away from God. Then it damages your relationship with Him. Time and time again, Israel had to be brought back. Time and time again, they started uh, worshiping other gods, and God would have to, to call out to them. Try to bring them back because sin damages your relationship with God. It doesn't end it, but it damages it. If you have true faith and truly follow Him, it damages it. It also brings heartache and pain. One of the things when we sin and we choose to do what's wrong, we can bring heartache and pain to ourselves because one, God will disobey, or two, there's consequences to poor choices that we make on this earth. So one of the things I started off with was, was finances. We can make poor choices, be irresponsible. And you, you might have gotten in a situation like that where you make some poor choices financially and then you cry out to God, God, why am I in this situation? And God's like, well, look, this is what you did. We make poor choices in relationships and then we cry out to God, God, why is this relationship failing? And he's like, well, look, this is what you did. You didn't follow what I had to say. And so it brings heartache. It brings pain. 
and it damages our relationship with God. So like Israel, we can flirt with sin. And like Israel, we are called to be an example. And Israel at times were a great example, and at other times they were a poor example. More often they were a poor example. And when we have a relationship with sin, we become a poor example to the rest of the world. But when we pursue and are passionate about relationship with Christ, when we have that kind of relationship, then we're a great example to the world. We now have Christ, and we are His representatives, and we ought to say no to sin and yes to Christ. Stop flirting with sin. I'm going to read to you a couple opportunities for you to respond, some application points. And then I'll give you the application slide here at the end and give you a couple minutes to reflect on those things. Maybe you want to write it down in a journal. Maybe you want to give us some feedback. Hey, this is some area you could be praying for for me. Then uh, the elders that involve church, we'd love to pray for you, follow up with you in any way we can. I want to make these as, as practical, practical as I can to our world right now. So we are deep in the corona world. How have you been tempted to pull your eyes off God and put it on this world? Are you finding victory over temptation? Um, there, there's a lot of fear. There's anxiety. There's concern about the future and where the United States is going, where uh, our, our world is going. And some people might even ask the question, are we seeing the signs of the end times? Uh, we just had an earthquake here in Idaho, and so that brings up those, those questions because that's mentioned in Scripture. There's going to be earthquakes. Well, it was, it was just a local earthquake, but, but it's still, for us, it's very real. And so there's a lot of questions, and we, we often today, we go to our, our devices, and we start looking through, and we look through the, the news, and we do searches. How serious is the coronavirus? How, how many people are actually dying? Um, is the coronavirus at my age? What's the, what, what's the death rate or something like that? You know, we're, we're constantly looking, and we're being anxious. So I, w- I would challenge you with this question, maybe even as a more practical one. If you reversed the amount of time you spend looking for coronavirus, if you, if you spent the amount of time looking for the, as you spent looking for the coronavirus in God's Word, would that be healthier for you? And if the amount of time you're spending in God's Word is the actual amount of time you're looking at the news, would you be looking at the news less if you reverse those? You know, we ought to be in prayer. We ought to be in God's Word. We ought to be looking to Him, not turning a blind eye. We're not, we're not saying that, that the death or, or the things that are happening from the coronavirus are not serious. They are. But we ought to be looking and finding our hope and our peace in Christ. How have you been tempted to pull your eyes off God and put it on this world? What are you trusting in? What are you leaning on? And are you finding victory over that temptation? In this time period, I've been talking to a friend, and he says um, domestic abuse is way up. One of the reasons domestic abuse is up is because people are stuck at home. They're anxious. 
That anxiety builds. Anger builds. And then people become more, more abusive. They don't know how to, to let it out. People are making poor choices because as they're stuck at home and the pressure builds, they go to the ways that they fix that. It might be substance abuse. It could be an addiction of some kind. It could be pornography or things like that. And so people are falling into that because, because it's there and they're on their screens a lot. And, and that's just the thing to do to make them feel better. And they're turning to those things instead of turning to Christ and turning to God. What have you been tempted? To, how have you been tempted to pull your eyes off God and then put it on this world? Think through that. Are you finding victory over temptation? And secondly, would you describe yourself as having a stronger relationship with Jesus or with sin? And if you say, yeah, I have a strong relationship with sin, I would, I would encourage you to repent. Maybe you're a follower of Christ. Maybe you've never chosen to follow Christ. If you haven't, then repent and give your life to Christ so you can walk in a new life. If you say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, but I still struggle so much, I would still ask you to repent. Go to God. Ask for forgiveness. Do what David did. David already had a relationship with, Christ, or with God, but when he was, was in sin with Bathsheba and Uriah and all those things where he, he committed adultery and murder, he comes to God the Father and he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your eyes. And he repents of it. That's how we need to come to the Lord when we confess, against you I have sinned and done what is evil in your eyes. Make it right again. Restore unto me the joy of my, or your salvation and renew a right spirit within me is what David prayed. Repent. If that's something you do, if, especially if it's something you do for the first time, or maybe it's something you're doing, you're recommitting yourself to Christ, then I'd ask you to please let me know. That's so encouraging to hear back that God's transforming you and He's changing your heart. I'd love to follow up. There's, there's more discipleship we can do. We can help you uh, be more in God's Word, ask questions, and we can answer them and those types of things. So please feel free to let us know. We'd love to hear what God's doing in your life. Take a couple minutes. I'm going to put those two questions up on the screen. You can think through those, and then we'll come back and we'll do a time of question and answer. of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpour, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled, grace, grace, God's grace.
Well, as you, a lot of you know, we are doing text your question in through this Roman series. And so we're kind of just carrying that over from the last uh, mini series, um, the first five chapters or four chapters. And uh, it seems like there's plenty of questions out there. So we're going to continue to try to answer those in accordance with scripture. If you still have a question, feel free to text it into that number at the bottom Absolutely. of your screen. Uh, and we will attempt to answer it. We we actually do have more than we can answer this morning. Um, more uh, more than more time. We don't have enough time to answer all of them. Is what I'm trying <laughs> to say. Um, so, but uh, but we will tackle a couple of these. And then on Thursday evening at 6 p.m. right here on this platform, we will air the answer to the other questions. So let's go ahead and roll into it, Ryan. So okay. the first one we have is uh, is this: Is sin a thought or an action? At some point, is a thought not yet a sin? Okay. Yeah, I think the best uh, passage, or at least the one that comes to mind first for me, is is James 1. uh, Starting with verse 13, it says, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. So there's, I think, the thought, the, the thought process. Okay, I'm enticed. Uh, that could be Satan puts something in front of us. Uh, that could be, uh, it could be our flesh, either one of those. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So when we allow that thought to be transferred into an action like coveting, which is still in the mind, but then you're starting to want and desire something that isn't yours, or when it becomes an action that's sinful, then, uh, then it's sin. And then, of course, the greatest example would be the example of Christ. Mm-hmm. He was tempted um, three different times and yet was without sin. Well, at least we have three different times where he was tempted by Satan and, and didn't uh, sin. But, you know, in all honesty, Jesus was tempted more than that. Yes. Uh, he, he grew up uh, a life like you and I, and so he would have been tempted and still was not without sin. So, yeah, I think that's... Yeah. I think you can have a thought um, and still not be sin. It's what you do with that thought that's important. Yeah. At the same time, it sounds like you can have a thought and it be sin. If also. it's yeah, if, yeah. if you <laughs> so, give into it, yeah. Into it. I, and, I was just thinking like how Jesus mentioned. Um, I, I mean, is it? They, what did he say? I think it was uh, Matthew five. You've heard this that it was said, "Do not commit adultery." He's talking about the, the actual physical act of adultery. Then he says, "I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery." Right. So, I mean that there, there's a there's a thought, but it is in some ways an action too. Like I've yeah. I've allowed it to you go choose past. to step into the coveting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And where that line is is really hard. I mean, I've heard a lot of people over the years say like, "Oh, well, two looks, two looks is," right. um, yeah. I think in our hearts we know yes. when we covet. Yeah. We know, you know when we've probably stepped over that line. Yeah. And then we, we come back to repentance. Yeah. You know, and God is faithful and just to forgive us and yeah. cleanse us. So, right. yeah. Well, okay. Uh, let's go ahead and hit the uh, next question. And it is this. Can you damage your relationship with God to where it's beyond repair? Yeah, that's... That's a great question. You know, coming back from this, I made a mention at the end that sin damages your relationship with Jesus uh, and with God, and that the picture goes back to Israel. Israel, um, God didn't forsake them. God did discipline them, you know, and so God does do that, but He doesn't leave them. Now, He did give salvation through Christ, which was a little different. We're going to get into that. We get into Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. We'll talk about Israel and the church and, and some of those pieces and how it's a little different. But he still extends salvation to 
Israel today through Christ. Um, but also, I just wanted to point out, and it's a, pat, it's a verse I just quoted, but 1 John 1, 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that was written to believers. So He was saying to them, if you sin and you identify, come and confess, and, and even as damaged as that relationship can be, God will forgive. Um, he doesn't just cut us off and say, okay, you went too far. Uh, and and there's, there's several more passages we can look at, but I think that one is one that's dear, at least to my, my life, when I think about my own life and, and the sin. I'm like, oh, 1 John 1, 9, confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. That's yeah, cool. so... Well, uh, we have about three or four more questions that came in. I'm not going to read them, but a lot of them have to do with uh, if we continue to sin or we we are struggling with sin, is my faith genuine or not? And so we're going to cover that this week. We will hit it on uh, Thursday evening at 6 p.m., both on Facebook and here on live.involvedchurch.com. It's a good question, and so it's something I want to try to tackle together. So that's all we have for today. Sounds good. Thanks. We are going to transition into... Uh, singing. So I'll just pray and then we'll have the worship team come up uh, and then we will close with a song. Father, thank you. Uh, We know that our salvation rests in the work of Jesus Christ and not in ourselves.